I was absolutely blessed why, with all the scriptures, where they're coming from today. So we, we use a calendar for the scripture reading, so we don't have to make a decision every Sunday what we're choo- choosing from. And then I preach, I'm preaching through Exodus, and so it's amazing to me whenever the stories are overlapping or the messages are overlapping. We had that one scripture just now where it's talking about the vine, the one um, and the how the vine is basically broken down and exposed. And this is seems to be so much of my life right now because of the, the documentary we're working on talking about how the walls are broken down and what are we doing and how are we rebuilding those walls. And so as we've been going through Exodus, every time I come, well, today we're going to read from Exodus chapter 11. And every time I'm in Exodus, I want to, um, well, just to be completely honest, I want to like read something in Exodus and then start in Genesis and preach my way all the way through the Bible and say this is how this affects or is connected to all the rest of the message, which means that we are sometimes repeating similar things from Sunday to Sunday. But I was, um, I was reminded this week of my own journey in that when I was in a younger place of ministry, I was asking the Lord, I wanted a new message. I wanted something new. And so I discovered this is actually quite common amongst believers because when we first come to Christ, everything is new. Everything's a new revelation. We don't know any of this, so it's all new. And so we want a new revelation. Well, there comes a season and a time when we realize that what we really want is the old truth that has endured from the beginning of time until now. We want the same gospel that Jesus when he died on the cross. That's what we want. So we were actually saying, I want something from 2,000 years ago. Actually, I want something from eternity's past that renews me. So it doesn't have to be new. I want to be made new. And there's a difference because that means I don't have to come up with a new message that no one on the planet has ever preached before. No, actually, I can take the same word of God and we can share the same message the same truth again and again in different languages, different countries around the world, and it renews us, and that's exciting. And so in, in Exodus chapter 11, I want to just read this. Uh, this is we, The last verse we just had was Moses saying to Pharaoh, you have spoken well, I will never see your face again. And so there's this moment here where Pharaoh says, you just leave, I'm tired of seeing you. And so in chapter 11 of Exodus, It says, the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, and so what I discovered in reading this is we have a, almost like a parenthesis in here where it gives us a bit of what's going on big picture when it says that Moses is very great in Egypt and it talks about the uh, the, 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 they're asking their neighbors for articles of silver and articles of gold. We'll hear more about that later in the next chapters. We're actually still standing in Pharaoh's court because in a minute, when we get down to verse 8, Moses finally leaves the court. 
And so we're just being given a parenthesis of everything that's about to happen, that is happening, and the fact that the Lord is speaking to Moses on the spot. And so in verse 4 is when Moses starts speaking again. So he's still with Pharaoh. He says, Moses said, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now, when we go on to chapter 12, we will discover that Moses then goes and instructs the children of Israel, and he's talking with all of them, and he's given specific instructions about the Passover. We see the Passover instituted, the picture of Christ dying on the cross, the, the, the whole blood on the doorpost. All of that is about to happen. But before it happens, while Moses is in the court of Pharaoh, he has this one last message for Pharaoh, when he, and he gives him this warning. Now, up until now... There's only been a few times when there's been a potential for someone to hear what he says and then to respond and protect themselves. For instance, uh, when it was the, the, the plague of hail, anybody of the servants of Pharaoh that understood that there was going to be a plague of hail was able to go get their servants and their animals out of the field and put them inside under roofs and protect them. So anyone who feared the Lord was able to respond and actually do something. But the people who did not honor the Lord, who did not fear the Lord, who did not respect the fact that what Moses was saying was not just his ideas, but it was from the Lord, all of those people, they suffered. But most of the plagues, when it talks about the difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Now, what we're about to see is a moment where God speaks to the Israelites and he literally gives them instruction and they have a part to play in this. And so this is the very, very difficult part of our Christian faith is the, we often have a, and theologically we'll have discussions about this, doctrinally we'll have disagreements, but on a personal level we'll just have confusions. And it's this, what is God's part and what is my part? Because we know that apart from God, I can, I'm, I can do nothing. I cannot get saved apart from God. I need Jesus. I need God. But then there's something that's left for me to do. And so in this instance, what's about to happen with the Passover, they're being told, go get a lamb, butcher it this way, use this plant and, put, and use that as a paintbrush and put the blood on the doorpost, and that's your part. And when the death angel passes over, he will not destroy anyone within any of these houses that have the blood on the doorpost. And so there's something that's being given here. So that was the first place that I went to as I was, as I was thinking through this, is that there is an opportunity being given to the people. And later, uh, not today because of the amount of time that we will be, would be taking, 
Um, we actually read about it some in uh, chapter 12 and 13, where there is a, an explanation of what it means if someone who is not an Israelite wants to come and join the Israelites. What does that look like? And so this is an important question to us because today we are the people of God. What is it happens when we are surrounded by people and we see the impending judgment of God? Can those who are about to be judged, can they come and join the people of God and can they escape the coming judgment? And our first answer is yes, of course. People, you know, there's God makes a way of escape. We can we can escape. There is if we hear the word of God, if we fear the word of and it's it's the um, the Hebrews eleven seven where it says that the that Noah was moved with righteous fear. I, actually, I think we have that verse, don't we? Hebrews eleven seven, and it says. Um, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, pre- prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to the faith. According to faith, so it says he was moved by godly fear. Now, I personally have quite a uh, a journey in my own life between what is faith and what is fear, because there's so many times when someone will come to you and say, "Oh." And it'll either be something political, or it'll be something a natural something, or it'll be and there'll be something, some reason to be afraid. And I've learned over the years to say, if you're trying to motivate me by fear, then it's wrong. I will not be motivated by fear, except for the fear of the Lord. When God speaks. I want to listen and, ha- and hear what he says and respond to him. When people speak and try to tell me how bad something's going to be, I don't want to be motivated by fear. And the reason for it is I only have a certain amount of ability to believe and act. And if I am using up all my bandwidth of believing and acting because of fear, the fear of man, then I'm not able to respond in faith to God. Faith and fear are really opposite sides of the same coin. And the only thing on the other side of the coin is the fear of God. And on this side we say it's it's faith in God. But it's the fear of God. So if I take my faith, all the ability that I have to believe, and I'm only putting it in people, whether it's in political things or other stuff, and I become fearful, then I'm using up the faith basically, that God has given me, and I'm, and I'm wasting it on something that is useless. In fact, might be demonic. And so I need to not be fearful of the things of this earth, of the things that the enemy is saying, of the lies. I don't need to be fearful of that. I want to fear the Lord, moved with a godly fear. And so I'm, I'm sharing this because as I was reading through this, what struck me was that the Egyptians are about to be judged. Up until now, God has said, I want the Egyptians to see what I'm doing for my people so that the Egyptians will know that there is one God in heaven. Not many gods as they had, but one God. That was their prayer. Uh, That was God's intention. And so we have a... Um, I, I jumped my, to my notes over here. So I have a question, and I don't have an answer. I just have a question. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, and all of this is happening, in a minute they're going to go to their neighbors and ask for jewelry and other things, and the, they, the, they have favor with their neighbors. They get that back. What is their interaction with their neighbors when they're being told put the blood on your doorposts or the death angel comes and takes the firstborn. Are they telling their neighbors this? 
The Bible doesn't tell us a clear answer on whether or not there's a number of Egyptians. It does say that all the Egyptians, not, there was not a house in Egypt where the death angel did not come unless it was covered by the blood. And so this is a powerful moment that's about to happen. And we'll talk more about it in the next couple of weeks. But there is a there are questions that I have with the people of God and how they responded. And so then I see Moses standing here in front of Pharaoh, in front of Pharaoh's servants, and he just gives this word. And he says, about midnight, I will go through the midst of Egypt. Thus says the Lord, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And he gives this warning. Now, when I think of us, as a people, the people of God. I know people who are warning other people about things. And I always try to hear a warning. And some of you know some of my recent experiences where um, people were trying to give me words that were not fitting and they, it didn't work out right. So the question is real do I warn other people? So for instance, um, growing up Amish, we had a lot of rules in our life where if someone was doing something that they shouldn't do, we, we were like, well, you know, and, and for us it was things like television, um, music, in, musical instruments, um, wrong, you, you curved your hat the wrong way, if your dress wasn't long enough, if your cap strings for the ladies were too wide or whatever, we would say, well, that's, you know, that's pride and, you know, pride, you're going to go to hell if you do that. And so like we had all these warnings to the extent that if someone was leaving the Amish and you went to see them, you couldn't interact with them without at the end of your conversation, giving them a serious warning that they need to come back to the Amish and not leave. And so you knew if any relatives, if any family, if any friends came to visit you, they weren't there just to visit. So you might have a good time visiting. You might chat about the weather and what you're doing, and you might, the children might play. But before it's over, there's going to be a huddle up, and the, the, everyone's going to have long, sad, religious faces, and they're going to warn you that you're going the wrong way. And for many people, the reason they were leaving is because they had gotten born again. They had found the word of God. They had found the truth. They had found freedom in Christ. And it was the first time in their life that they were free from condemnation. They were suddenly free from the fear of death. And they were excited. And so then all of their friends that were coming, with their friends that they had been part of, would come up to them and be like, look, you're on the wrong path. You're headed to hell. You need to come back to the Amish. And you need to recant from all this business about knowing that you're saved. And so... In my culture, I'm very aware of what it looks like for someone to warn someone. But it's not pleasant, and it's not effective. And so then I think of the conservative Christian churches that I've been part of. And like um, I remember, um, and, I, and I hesitate to say this because I know that for the, the sake of actual effectiveness. Some organizations have to do this kind of stuff. But I just remember being part of organizations where we're taking the gospel into different places. And then there would be some 
one of the ladies of the group would have to go talk to some of the young pe- some of the young ladies or whatever and say hey your your neckline is too low it's it's causing a distraction you need to do something about it and so then and and it would suddenly be like is everyone look just right and so so there this was a warning about externals and so again i don't like how that feels the flavor of it the the spirit of it just somehow seems problematic and yet I understand that, you know, if you come to my house and you're doing things at my house that I'm like, we don't do that here, please don't, I have to be able to say that. And you have to be able to respect that. And so there has to be something of that in our conversation, but we have a deeper issue here. And the issue is a spiritual issue that we can read. I want to read about it over in Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33 Starting in verse 1, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. Verse 5. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. Verse 6, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of the watchman's hand. So you, son of man. I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Verse 10, therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And then I want to go down to... Uh, verse 30 of chapter 33. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So when I think of this example that God is giving Ezekiel, he's saying to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is looking at his people going, we're in so much trouble because we're not actually following God. The temple is full of idolatry. We have a lot of other problems and we're not following God. 
And then he gives his word and it's like the people come together and say, hey, have you heard the latest from Ezekiel? It's pretty awesome. Strong preaching, right? It's really good. And then they don't do anything. They don't show up at the temple. They're not continuing the work that God had called them to. They're not doing anything. And Ezekiel is, of course, being discouraged by this. And so God is saying, Ezekiel, let me share with you something. If you do your part, you're free. You're clear. But if you don't speak, then it's on you when they are destroyed. And so this idea of a watchman and Moses, that's where, that's where I connected this with. I see Moses leaving the court of Pharaoh, and he's angry. Why is he angry? Because everything he says is being ignored. He's been speaking and speaking and speaking, and every time he's spoken what the word of the Lord told him to say, he actually, it happens, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens. The plagues all happened. And now we get to the, the, the death of the firstborn. Now we're talking about people that Moses actually knows. Moses knows people within Pharaoh's court. Moses knows people, and he's talking about these people, people that he knows, and they're going to die. And Pharaoh is not listening. And Moses leaves the court angry. It's interesting because later in his life, Moses gets in trouble for being angry and acting out of place. Here it just mentions it, that he leaves the court in anger. So there's something that's happening here that I think is very important for us to realize. God is about to set up the Passover. God is about to show the picture of how he interacts with people. God is about to give the illustration for all of us who have come since then of this is how God passes over. When the blood is on the doorpost, God passes over. The judgment of God passed. When the blood is applied, we're saved. This is a, I mean, we have so many songs about this. We have so many sermons about this. It's a glorious truth. And Moses is, is about to see it happen. He's about to institute it. He's about to instruct the children of Israel. But he's talking to, the, the, to Pharaoh. And God had told him, I want the Egyptians to know that there's a God in heaven. And Moses is looking at it going, they don't know. They're not getting it. But Moses does his part of a proper watchman. He gives the message and then he leaves. And I I tried this week to just see briefly if there was any evidence that I could find anywhere in scripture that any of the Egyptians at the time had actually come over. I think there's a little bit more study I need to do to see if I can find any specifics because there's, there is instruction on how that's supposed to look. So we'll touch on that when we get to it later in chapter 13, I believe. But I don't know, it doesn't clearly say, and half of the Egyptians came over to the Israelites. It doesn't say that. It doesn't allow it as it was a huge success for Moses. It's just Moses gives the word, and then he goes and he instructs the people of God on what they're supposed to do, and they listen. And they are actually functioning in this case, which is fascinating because later they're not listening. And so they're listening at this moment, but I'm thinking about Moses and how he is giving a warning. And so my, my main point for today in thinking about um, Exodus 11 and this moment right before the final judgment comes on God, and what's, what's phenomenal is then not only does Pharaoh not listen to this, he keeps going with it, and then once the children of Israel are leaving, all the servants of, of Pharaoh and the Egyptians have said, leave, please go, 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 go. And they head out and they're headed out. Then Pharaoh still raises his army and pursues them. 
and he still chases them down to the edge of the water. And it's amazing because the first time we see the pillar of the, the, the pillar of fire, it literally says that the fire was on the side of the Egyptian, of the side of the Israelites, so they could see, but the cloud was on the side of the Egyptians, so they could not see. And so at night, they couldn't even see that they had caught up to the Egypt, to the Israelites. And so in the morning, God raises the cloud and, and they are like, oh, they went across the Red Sea after them. And they go into the Red Sea only to be destroyed. And so it's, it's a, there is what, there are several pieces that I take away from this. One, God gives a warning. He gives his instruction. He gives a warning to his people, but also to all people. There is a warning that God gives to all people. We have opportunity to repent. We have opportunity to turn back to God. We always have that. Okay? At the same time, while we live on earth, there will be people who will reject the word of God. And it has been this way from this, not just this time, and we read the account of Noah, and we see what happened with him and the people then. Uh, there will always be people who will reject the word of God, and there will be people who respond to the word of God. And so the challenge for us is that we don't become like what Ezekiel was explaining, where they're like, oh, you know, they come, they, they speak to one another, everyone's saying to his brother, hey, please come and hear what the word of this is that comes from the Lord. And, and so it's serious business, but I have a problem in, in application, and it's simply this. In my experience, when I have seen people deliver warnings and rebukes many, many, many times, they, it was not the word of the Lord. So now when someone comes and says, hey, I have a word of the Lord for you, I have a rebuke for you, I have something for you, red flags go up all over the place because there's so many people that have set themselves as watchmen and don't actually know the heart of God and are speaking and they're not actually speaking the heart of the word of God. And so when I find someone who actually does have the heart of God and they are speaking, it blesses and encourages me even when I'm the one who's wrong. And so the challenge with this is that if we are the watchmen, we can't just speak our own words. We've got to speak the word of God. Because, going back to my earlier point, I'm now going to take the message from Ezekiel and, and flip it the other way. What if the people of, are here and they've appointed a watchman and he gets up on the wall and then suddenly he makes a great ruckus and says, we're in so much trouble and he gives a warning and nothing happens. There is no trouble. And then he looks out another direction and sees something else and comes back and makes a great ruckus and, he, and what happens after a while is the watchman loses his ability to speak. And now again, when they come and he actually does speak the right word and he says, There's, the, the sword is on us, There's, the armies are coming, you've got to do something. And they're like, yeah, 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 this is just like what you told us last week and the week before and last month. And they don't do anything. And now the blood, even though he has spoken, the blood is still on his hand. And so as I was considering this, now for myself, just when I'm reading in Ezekiel, I love reading chapter 34. It's not today's message, but it talks about the unfaithful shepherds and how God himself will be the shepherd of his people. And that is to me, the heart of courage that I have is God is able to reach me. Even when all the voices around me go nuts, I can still hear from the Lord. 
And if I'm looking across and I'm seeing my people, you know, whether it's the Amish out in Indiana or wherever else, and I'm hearing lots of kerfuffle coming out because everyone's having a disagreement and I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. When I go back there, I can trust that God has been at work shepherding his people and that there will be those who have a new testimony of having come to Christ. And it happens in this last trip that we were there was such a, a confirmation of hearing the testimony of several people who had come out and had gotten saved or they got saved and came out. Um, and so I want to make sure that we have this truth firm and solid. God says, if my shepherds all fail me, I myself will shepherd my people. This is what Jesus said. If when I go back to the father, it's better for me to leave you guys and go back to the father because then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to lead you into all truth. That's what this Ezekiel 34 is about is Jesus saying that the Holy Spirit will come. Um, but it's in the Old Testament prophetic language. It's not in in our um, it's not talking about it doesn't say the word Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but that is what it's talking about. And so we have this promise that God himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to be with us no matter what. So this is good. So that's a good part. But now, I still want to examine this other thing and talk about it. This whole idea of being a watchman. Because in the body of Christ, we are all called to something. And we're all called to be, uh, you know, we believe in the, in the priesthood of all believers, which basically means any one of us can approach the Father, any one of us can hear from God, anyone, we, we all have this. It's not like you have to come to one guy and he connects you to God. No, actually we can all connect. We believe in this, which means that there's a certain level of responsibility that we have for each other. And so if God gives a warning which was the main point of what I was trying to say, is God always gives a warning. He gives a word and he gives an instruction to his people. And when we hear it, we respond. It leads to action. It's going back to that, uh, that reference in Hebrews 11 where it talks about Noah moving in righteous fear. This happens to us. We hear the word of the Lord. We realize, I have got to do something. When you realize that God is asking you to do something, you respond, you go, and you do it. Unless you don't. Because there have been times in my life where I've looked back and said, you know what? Right over here, back there in, in February, God was speaking to me. That was a pretty clear word. I kind of felt it at the time, but I didn't quite know how to respond. And so I just kept putting things off. And now here I am in June or July or whatever. And I suddenly realized I should have done that. And it's nice when God gives us opportunity to repent and turn back to him. But it's necessary for me to examine my own life and say, when have I been given the word of God and I responded? When have I not responded? And so where I want to end with today's message is that we want to be moved with godly fear, not the fear of man, because the fear of man brings a snare, but the fear of God as Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. So that's, that's where I want to end. But in considering a few things to get to the end, here are the things I want us to consider. I believe God has called each one of us to be a watchman of some thing within the body of Christ, within the group of people that we're in. 
Number one, I believe there is a spiritual responsibility for us who are the children of God to be able to share with others that there is a coming judgment, that there is coming a day when we will all answer to God, and that there is life after death. So there's that top-level spiritual responsibility that I think we all share. Then within the body of Christ, there are other things that that we are responsible for. There are some of us with different gifts and we see things and we are to respond. So there are times, um, well, so, so to give the illustration, we're all called to make disciples. Every one of us is called to make disciples. There's not like some disciple makers and some not. We're all called to make disciples and to be discipled. That's actually a scriptural thing where you have someone like um, Timothy, who is hanging out with Paul, and then you see Paul is actually hanging out with Silas and Barnabas, and like there's always these these different relationships that are happening. They're all important. You need someone who's farther down the path from where God has is leading you, so they can instruct you. You need someone who's farther back from you, so that you can share with them what you have learned. You need someone who's walking with you, so that you can sh- encourage each other as you go. So you want people in your life that are. Uh, farther down the road than you are, farther back from where you are, and with you. That's what you need. All of us need this. If you're only having the the guru up ahead, you miss out on a whole lot of what Christian life can really be. If you're only being the guru and saying, here, come follow me, then, then you also miss out on a lot of what God is asking you to be. If you don't have the fellowship of other people who are walking with you, you also miss out on a lot of what God wants to do. So it's very important to have the, the, the Pauls, the Silases, and the Timothys. You need all of that. But the challenge comes into, if I'm here to warn people, how do I do it so that I'm not the obnoxious Amish deacon bringing condemnation to somebody. That's the hard, hard part. When I see something, and so I was sorting this out in my mind, and I was thinking, well, there's a hierarchy of things here. So on a very level over here, um, so, so just to throw out some examples so you can be thinking what I'm thinking. So, okay, over here I have the extreme, there is coming a day when we stand before Jesus, right? That's extreme. Over here I have, um, if you eat too much sugar, you're going to die. So brain categories, if you step in front of a train, you're probably going to die. You shouldn't do that. If you drive drunk or buzzed or something, you're probably going to, you might kill someone else. So these are all things that I know are bad and I can give you warnings about. Now I'm not going to give you a warning about which way you're folding your hat. Okay. Um, at least, maybe I will someday. I've never had to so far in my life. <laughs> I just so when I said it, I suddenly had a thought. There are some drug, uh, some gangs that actually fold their hats certain ways to identify. And so, if I found an innocent youngster that was was identifying accidentally with a, a gang, I might be like, um, you might want to not do that with your hat. So maybe I would give a warning about a hat. I don't know. I hadn't. I, I didn't think I would, but maybe maybe there could be a scenario, right? But there is a whole level of seriousness to each of these. So my thought was, um, in my own life, like, like my family, we homeschooled, uh, my siblings and I were homeschooled, and then like we're homeschooling our children. I knew people who would, instead of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, would try to convince you to homeschool. And so it was almost as if your children will be saved if you homeschool. Well, that's not actually the case. There's only one way to be saved. It's through Jesus Christ. However, I know that message, and, I'm, and I'm, so, so this was my question. 
Um, so if you can follow along with me, maybe I'm warning you about food. Maybe I'm warning warning you about substances. Maybe I'm warning warning you about bad habits that can really mess you up. Maybe you know there's all of this array of things. And if I come in first and warn you on any of these things and basically condemn you for your habits or where you are. I might shut off your ears to that when I try to tell you about the judgment to come and the hope we have in Christ, you can't hear it. That makes me a bad watchman. However, if I warn you about the judgment to come and you're following Christ and now we're walking together along the path of life, then if I happen to know that there are dangers in our diet or in our habits or in things it behooves me to actually share that with you. Because if I don't share it with you, and then you get hurt by it, and you're like, what, what, you knew this all along? Well, yes, actually I did, you know. Um, then it would have been better if I would have talked about it. And so there's a level at which I do need to share these other warnings. Um, it's like when someone comes here to Colorado for the first time, I have finally learned that when my friends come from the lowlands and they come from lower altitude, when they come here, they're very likely going to have a headache. They're very likely going to like feel bad for a day or two. And I need to be able to tell them, hey, make sure you drink plenty of water, get enough rest, because you're, you're adjusting to a higher altitude and it's very um, arid climate up here. So you're, you know, there's no humidity. You're, you, you need more water. And so if I tell them that, I can actually help them avoid having the bad headache. Well, I'm finally learning, oh, they're not going to know that. I need to tell them that when they show up. So I, I, I'm learning how to share things. But it's not where I go, oh, you sinner, you're so, how dumb can you be? You came to Mile High City and you're not drinking water. What? Like, I have to actually say it with kindness and explain. So I've actually started, like, keeping oxygen in, you know, the hiker's oxygen in our car just so that, because I've several times taken people from sea level up in, you know, to Loveland Pass or wherever, and then I'm like, oh, like, you know, poor poor uh, Gary Tebby, the times I've taken him places. Like, he told me at one point, he said, every year I come, you almost kill me. And I'm like, sorry. And he says, you know, because one time we were in a kayak that was very unstable. I didn't realize his was as unstable as it was until I tried to move. It It was very bad. Another time I took him skiing and we went all the way to the top of Loveland Pass and he's up there going, I can't even breathe up here. (laughs) And, And so like there are things that we learn on a practical level that are actually very helpful. So for instance, for me as a believer, I needed to understand that just a daily regimen of reading the Word of God was very helpful. Now, the person who shared this with me, or I should say the persons who shared it with me, they didn't come to me and condemn me for not reading the Word of God. They didn't come to me and condemn me for reading it in the wrong way. But what they shared was, I have found that in my walk with God, being in the Word of God every day is very helpful. And so then I was like, well, how do you do that? Like, I'm, you know, because if you ever try to start from Genesis and just read through and you don't really know the Bible, you get to Leviticus and Numbers and you're like, oh, this is rough. Where's Jesus, you know? And, and so what helped me was people said, oh, if you don't know what else to do, what you can do is there's, there's a proverb for every day of the month because there's, 
you have 30, you know, 31 Proverbs. You can do the same thing with, um, with Psalms. And so I found some tricks so that if I didn't know what to read, I would just, whatever date it was, I would go to that proverb and read that. And then, you know, so like, um, what is today? The 12th or the 13th? 13th. 14th. I was I'm a day behind still. So like today, I could have just gone and read Proverbs 14 and then Psalm 14. And so one would be wisdom for my life, one would be drawing closer to the Lord. That's the way I saw it. So that was a good little hack that someone shared with me that I could always find something to read. So if I didn't have a plan, I would just go do that. So I'd read something. Well, then along come other plans. So then I'm reading through the Gospels, I'm reading through, you know. And so that's, but it was very helpful. And it was something that enough people said, um, if you don't read the Word of God every day, you might wither on the vine and you might really struggle. Like I remember, um, this was after we started the church here, three years in, and suddenly I'm calling Pastor Philip in Texas going, I'm just really discouraged about this, and then there's this, and then there's that, and then there's the other thing, and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I'm just telling him all this stuff, and, and he's kind of quiet. He says, how's your um, daily devotions going? Are you reading and praying just privately? And I was like, No. <laughs> I'm not. And what was going through my mind was, I have read the Bible every day since I was 15, and now I'm a pastor and I'm not doing it. What's wrong? I mean, I should have been able to figure this out, right? Uh, but I just was not understanding that I, myself, my spiritual being, needed the food of God daily. I needed to be praying and seeking him and reading the word of God for me not to come here and preach, not so I can help someone else, but for me. I needed the spiritual intake for me. And that was important. And so I've been, so since then, every time I start feeling a little bit anxious, I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. What's it look like right now? Am I really, because it can be very easy for me um, right now um, if I'm preaching through Exodus and then I'm reading in my private time and I'm reading over in Matthew or in Hebrews or Luke, or it doesn't matter where I'm reading, suddenly there's something that overlaps. I'm like, oh, look at this. This is like that. I could use this in the message on Sunday. And next thing you know, I'm preparing a sermon instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so that's, that's, a, that's a challenge. Okay. So that was a spiritual challenge. Well, then on a physical level, I had to learn that I felt better in general, and was more useful for the kingdom if I stayed active. When I switched from doing construction to doing film editing, I was just sitting around a lot, and it affected me, and I would get so antsy. You know, the feeling you get after seven cups of coffee or something? It was like that, but I hadn't drank the coffee. It was just like, I was just like, and so I figured out that I needed to physically move, and so I had to learn that. And so those are things that someone could tell me, and it could be helpful in my journey but where's the top-level warning still? It's still the top-level warning is up here. There's coming a day when the king who sees me now, I'm finally going to see him. And I'm going to understand on that day that he had sent the, the Holy Spirit, his presence, to walk with me here on earth. And on that day, I will see what all he could have done and what all I could have escaped and what all I could have done for the kingdom. And I'm going to understand it so clearly and I could be only distracted with these other things I'm talking about. And so there is an importance in which 
I need the kingdom of heaven to inform all of these things in my life. These are actually important. They are being a good steward of my, of my time, of my body, of the finances that God gives me. Th- these are important things. Like if, if you tell me in 50 years from now, oh yeah, back when we were hanging out together, we, uh, you know, I invested all my money in this or that or the other thing because it was obviously the best investment. And now I'm like able to fund all these things. I'm like, why didn't you tell me about it then? And so I have questions like that. Like if you discover something that's a really good resource right now and I'm, you don't tell me about it, I'm like, hey, when I find out later. And so, yes, we do need to be talking about all of that because being a disciple of Jesus is about how to apply this kingdom level truth that there is a God in heaven who not only we're going to see him one day, And he's going to ask him what we did with himself and with everything he gave us. He actually has equipped us. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us a calling. He's given us something to do. And so while Moses is looking out going, I can't believe it. I've talked to Pharaoh so many times. I've told him, I've told him, I've told him. And he's still not believing it. He acts like I don't matter. And he walks out of the court with anger. The important thing for, for Moses, which is actually he was faithful in this all the way through. He had a few lapses, but he remembered that he needed to obey God. So when God is telling him, go tell the Israelites now how this Passover thing works, he went and he was faithful and he instructed them. So Moses cannot forget that when he's being discouraged by this. So my, my challenge for myself is that I do not want to be moved with godly fear. I, I, I need to re- reverse this. I want to be moved with godly fear. I do not want to be moved by the fear of man because the fear of man brings a snare, but the fear of God, that is the beginning of wisdom. And so when God gives a warning and I hear it, I don't want to just be like, oh, that was very pleasant. Could you uh, maybe try that to a different tune? I'd like to hear that in a new song. Oh, that's awesome. You know, that we have a beautiful song with the warning of God. In it. That's awesome. Let's, let's play that again. I don't want to just do that. I want to actually act on it and to respond And so when someone gives a word of the Lord, it's not that I don't want to be like the people in Ezekiel who are going, oh, that was so good. And then they go back to the homes and they're talking to each other. Did you hear that word? It was awesome. But to actually live what God has told me to do. And so I spend my life trying to understand what it is that God is instructing me to do. And every so often as I'm walking along, there's a brother or a sister walking with me and they say, did you know that you can take this part of God's word and you can apply it to this part of your life and look what happens? And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. And so we are all watchmen as Moses was a watchman. But as a watchman, we are watching this first. Am I keeping my eyes on Christ. Because if I lose sight of what God has set me here to do, it doesn't matter how effectively I reach the people because I don't have the right source. I've got to be hearing from the Lord to be able to share with others. If I also allow myself to be obnoxious, and, and I'm, I'm thinking about the... I think in all the stories I've heard, there is... One, maybe two people who came and said to me, um, the Amish deacon came and he shared something that was really good and it was from God. Most of the time, when they say the Amish deacon came, it means they came to really condemn them and tell them that they're going to hell. Like that's what it was about. It was very painful. 
And so I'm thinking about us as the body of Christ. When someone says, oh yes, I had a Christian approach me, a believer approach me, you know, on the 16th street or wherever, and they're speaking and they were trying to speak into my life. Do I, do, do they come away and say, and it was, it was from the Lord. It was so good. Or do they say it was so painful? What do we say? And I'm asking the question seriously because we are representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are the watchmen on the wall. We are looking out. We are seeing the problems that are coming. So are we distracted by all the things of this earth? We do need to talk about them. I just explained that. But number one, and first and foremost, we want to make sure that we're not messing with the word of God and that we're not messing up someone's ability to hear that there is coming a day when we stand before him. And we want to be moved with godly fear of him, not with the fear of man that brings a snare. And the fear of the Lord, as Proverbs says over and over, is the beginning of wisdom. And so, as we go into the illustration next week of Passover, we see how God is able to rescue us in all kinds of ways, and it's powerful. But for today, I wanted us to sit with this for a moment and to say, what is my, when I'm the one as pointed to the watch, to the watch, and I'm on the wall, and I'm watching, how is that working? Am I doing a good job? Because there's a part that is God's, and there's a part that's mine. And he has given me everything I need to do that well, but I could be being distracted. I could be misled, and I might not be responding with the righteous fear of God, I might be responding with the fear of man. And so I don't want to do that. And I wanted to encourage all of us to make sure that our hearts before God were where we needed to be. Let's pray. Father, you have given us the truth. You've given us a warning. You've given us not just all history past in your word, but you've given us the hope of the future and what is to come in Revelation. And you give us opportunity to respond to you. And then, Lord, you give us responsibility to share what we know with others, this whole discipleship thing. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us that you would help us, Lord, to not be distracted, to not be fearful of man, but to fear you and to, to zealously guard your ability to use us. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want your Holy Spirit to flow through us and to encourage the hearts of believers around us. That's what we want, Lord. So I pray that you'd help us, and you would strengthen us, and you'd help us to stand firm on your word, and that we individually would pursue you, and we would make sure that our hearts were hearing from you. And then we would turn and walk with our brothers, and even those who are not yet brothers, and be able to share with them your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us that ability to share your word, your warning in such a way that those to whom we're speaking would be able to respond to you, that they would hear our voice and our words, but they would respond to you, Lord. That is our request. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.